This episode of Voices in My Head is brought to you by Podbean. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile-ready right from the start. Visit podbean.com voices to find out more. That's podbean.com voices. This is Rick Lee James, and the music you are hearing is from my new album, Thunder. The title track, Thunder, is a never-before-released song by the late Rich Mullins. There are also 12 other tracks made up of original music, hymns, and readings to guide the listener on a journey. You can buy Thunder today on clear vinyl and CD, or stream it on Spotify, Apple Music, and almost every other music streaming service. Thunder, hear it today at rickleyjames.com. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, a songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is where I discuss music, movies, books, pop culture, theology, and more with friends, colleagues, and sometimes just by myself. Now make sure to let me know what you think of today's episode by leaving me a review on iTunes, or by tweeting at me, at Rick Lee James on Twitter, And please join my mailing list at rickleejames.com where you can receive an email every time a new episode is released. And by the way, in case you're interested in a daily dose of kindness and encouragement beyond this podcast, I also run the Twitter account at MrRogersSay where I post daily quotes from Fred Rogers, one of the voices in my head. Well, I guess that's it for the intro, so sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Voices in My Head. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I'm your host, Rick Lee James. I'm really glad that you're here with us today, and you're going to get to hear from my great guest, Stephen McNeil. This is a song from his new album, which just released, and it's called Centerpiece, Volume 2, Shelter and Shade. This is Stephen McNeil, and the song is Count It All Joy. Let's listen.
every tear When the bitter cup we drink overflows You are shelter and shade Ever sure, ever near Though we suffer we are not left alone teacher who lives just outside of Memphis, Tennessee. In 2017, Stephen released his first collection of congregational songs called Centerpiece, Songs of Gospel Community. The songs on Centerpiece were born of Stephen's experience serving as an elder in his church and walking with his community through the complexities of wrestling with scripture and believing the gospel in every area of life. Because of the album's underlying theme of community, Stephen enlisted the help of a number of friends and worship leaders to bring these songs to life. Well, on November 29th, Stephen will release Centerpiece, Volume 2, Shelter and Shade, the second in what he hopes to be a continuing series of congregational albums. Stephen is here to talk about the new album and more today on Voices in My Head. Stephen McNeil, welcome to Voices in My Head. Thanks for having me, Rick. Well, I'm so glad to, to have you here. I've been really digging the album, and one of the perks of getting to host a show like this is sometimes I get advanced copies of the music, and so I'm I'm so glad that I've been able to kind of be walking around and, and listening on my phone and, and uh, just enjoying some of the great music you've been uh, putting out ahead of time, and so I, I consider that one of my privileges as a, as a yeah, podcast definitely. host. I'm glad you've been um, enjoying it. It's a lot of fun to make, so I, I like it when people, you know, enjoy it as much as I did. Well, and I don't know if all of my listeners, depending on how old they are, if they will even know this reference, but I'm a fan from way back of the Traveling Wilburys, mm -hmm. which was which was a group together of Tom Petty and Bob Dylan and Roy Orbison and, and Jeff Lynne and uh, George Harrison, I think. Did I name everybody? I, I, I think I got everybody. Yeah, you got them, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, it was it was a really cool collection of musicians that got together, called themselves the Traveling Wilburys, and it just had sort of a flavor like no other when you came to the album. Well, I, I'm listening through your album, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show too. But I really had this feel of like it's it's as though the Traveling Wilburys got saved, and really right. <laughs> like uh, had this sort of gospel collective together. So I really been enjoying it. Let's and because you know that particular album that I just referenced was really a community project and i think that's sort of one of the magic things about like an album like the traveling wilburys mm -hmm. your album is also filled with this communal aspect both your first volume and the new volume that's coming out um, and its design is to serve the local church talk to us more about that and, and how these songs were written sure yeah um well i i'm a part of a, a pretty young church and when we started out, uh, we'd be 
studying through a, a book of scripture and I'd be thinking about the things that we were um, that we were discovering as a church and wrestling with as a church and I'd, I'd start writing songs and uh, I realized that some of them could be beneficial to the rest of our church it might be something we could sing so I, I'd whenever I'd write something that I felt was um, decent I'd, I'd send it to my friend Blake uh, who's our worship leader and and he would give me feedback and sometimes he would say let's sing that next sunday uh so that's kind of how it started out and we started singing these songs together uh, as a church on sundays I, I never had any intention of making an album with them i was just you know writing for my little community and um so that led to the first record and a lot of the songs on on centerpiece volume two were written around the same time as as the first album and um so it kind of started that way. So I started recording them kind of piecemeal here and there. My church was kind of encouraged me to, to get them out there so people could hear them. And, uh, so anyway, as I was recording, I thought, you know, it's not the same without, um, you know, without Blake singing a little bit or without my, my sure. friend summer singing. So I started having people from my church, you know, sing a little bit here and there and play. And then I thought, well, I've got a lot of really talented friends in my community, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of worship leaders and singers and musicians so for the first album, I kind of like just – I'd have a thought, you know, I'm going to call Austin. I'm going to I'm gonna call uh, Josh. And <clears throat> so it kind of just started to take shape kind of accidentally. Uh, so going into volume two, I was I was purposeful. I was like, I'm going to try to include as many people as I can. And uh, so I think – I counted it up last week. I think that folks from 12 different churches in my area um, contributed, whether they, whether they played or they sang or they clapped or, you know, whatever – uh, yeah. And and so it was a lot of fun, and and I, I was able to kind of pick pick songs and kind of send them to people and say, hey, do you think this would be good for your voice? And um and whenever you bring other people into any anything you you're working on, when you bring other people into it, it takes on a different um it, it takes you somewhere you never would have anticipated. Uh, so you know I'd have friends come in and sing the songs and like, wow, I never would have sung it like that, and it's it's so much better because you sang it like that, or you know they'd offer suggestions here and there about you know, what to add or, or take away. And, uh, and it was, it's so much better because all these people were involved. And, um, hmm. so it was, it was a blessing to, to be able to make. I love that whole idea of commu- including your congregation and congregations in your community. Mm-hmm. And I know that, um, you know, Andrew Peterson's behold the lamb of God tour. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he has been such an influence on so many of us and that's no exception to this album and sort of the communal aspect of what happens on it. Um, tell us about the first time you ever experienced the behold the lamb of God tour and, and how sure. did that affect you? Yeah. Um, well, I, I first heard the music. I was in college. It was before the Behold the Lamb record came out. It was a, a recording I found on the old Ragamuffin archive. Uh, I'm oh, familiar okay. with it. It was a, it had a bunch of live recordings of, uh, of Caveman's Call and Andrew Peterson and, uh, Shane and Shane and just uh, all kinds of things. And, uh, and so I found a live recording of one of like the early Behold the Lamb shows and I was immediately struck by it and loved it. And then as soon as the record came out, I bought that. But, First time I saw the show was in 2007. They played in uh, that was a notable night in my life because I saw uh, I saw the Andrew Peterson show on one side of town, and then directly after I drove downtown uh, to FedEx Forum and saw Stevie Wonder. So it was a, an important wow. night in my life um, for many reasons. But anyway, so uh, I you know I was in tears. the 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 Behold the Lamb show it changed my understanding of the gospel and and helped me see Jesus in every part of Scripture. Um, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd never really considered that before. And, um, 
it continues to affect me to this day. And, uh, and I didn't realize at the time how much the community aspect was, um, affecting me. I just thought it was so cool that it was like, Oh, he's got his friends out and, you know, there's Andrew mm-hmm. Singa and there's, yeah, there's Don Brad from Cayman's Call and like, you know, like all these people that I would see from, from bands and artists that I, I thought were great. And I just thought it was a cool thing. But then I started to realize that it's not just like something cool he does. It's something foundational to, to that tour and to his life. And, um, and so that's uh, when I started making these records, I was like, you know, it, it, the rabbit room community that he's a part of, uh, they encourage people to, to seek out community where you are and to, mm-hmm. to build that sort of community, um, uh, in the name of Jesus where you are. And so that's, that's what I'm hoping to do. You know, it's, I, I've, yeah. I've, uh, strengthened and formed a lot of bonds through the making of these records with people in my, my community that I wouldn't necessarily have hung out with besides this. And so, um, I'm hoping that that, that leads to more opportunities like that. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to have a little, um, you know, kind of celebration concert, um, uh, after the holidays and try to get as many of these people in the same room. Um, we did that with the first album and, uh, it was just so much fun and so much joy just to know that the Lord is working through so many people in so many different ways. And we're all, um, we're all linked because of his work on the cross. And so, yeah. Yeah, I love I love that aspect of you know it gives everyone a real feeling of ownership and I I don't know if you've read it yet but Andrews Peterson's new book Adorning oh, the Darkness oh, yeah. so is good. incredibly good and he has a, a a long passage in the book where he describes how the Behold the Lamb of God tour and album and all of it came about yeah. and then all the years the way it's developed and a lot of that does have to do with uh, the communal aspects and so it's it's great to see other artists who are really sort of taking that approach to heart mm-hmm. and um, it's not derivative at all of Behold the Lamb of God or anything like that but it really does kind of find itself in in the same vein the same mode of that just because of the way it includes so many different people um, on the project and it really has a very very uh, unique and very special feel to the whole album. And, um, you know, when when you write, and, and I, I want to talk about writing for just a few minutes sure. here. When you write, even in community and with community, do you approach songwriting uh, for others by writing what you need to hear and you hope it will translate to others? Or do you try to write specifically with others in mind? Mostly... Mostly I start with what I need to hear. There have been a, a couple of examples where I've been thinking about someone that I know or thinking about someone in, in my congregation, something they're struggling with, something that they're mm-hmm. going through, and I kind of write from that perspective. But usually even when I start there, it ends up becoming something that I need to hear first because hmm. um, I don't know. that there were There were a lot of years where I would be – because I've played in, in worship bands, played guitar and – and, and things like that in worship bands and with, you know, my churches, churches I've been a part of. And a lot of times we'd be playing a song. It's, uh, there were fine songs, but I just, it was hard for me to hang on to anything in the song as we were singing. Mm. I didn't, I didn't always find something to hang on to. Um, and so a lot of times when I'm writing, I'm trying to write something that, that I can hang on to, like a, yeah. a truth that maybe I'm, forgetting or I'm having trouble believing or I'm trying to work out uh, to, to understand better. And so usually it, it, it starts with that, like something I really need mm-hmm. to hear, something I need to cling to, a truth from scripture or something. And um, and then if it finds its way uh, to where it's 
you know, singable for other people, then that's cool. Um, I, if I, if I start with too much of an end goal in mind, I usually mess it up. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, so some of, some of the songs end up being more kind of just devotional songs, meditations on, yeah. things. there's a few songs like that on the record, but, um, yeah. Well, I'm always, I'm always interested, uh, you know, to hear about the different processes of writing. There, there is, especially when you're writing for congregations, there are some similarities, I think, to writing a sermon. And, you know, I've, I've done both. I don't know. Have you ever, ever preached a sermon yourself before? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. About twice a year, the other elders okay. of the church taught me into preaching. So. Okay, yeah. sure. Well, and, and, you know, guys like you and me, it's not our main thing, but on occasion we get to preach. And, and I do feel like there can be this sense of when you're preparing a sermon, mm-hmm. um, you do have sort of this approach of like, I can either preach from the word what it's speaking to me and what i need to hear right now mm-hmm. or we almost have this approach of like boy this person out there i've got in mind he needs to hear this exactly. this week and i'm gonna yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and it almost never turns out well like if you approach a sermon or maybe even a song that yeah. way we maybe were, some people are better at it than others but yeah go ahead i was cutting uh, you off no sorry. yeah we uh um a friend of mine uh, preached recently we we're going through the book of romans uh, and we uh, he was preaching about um, uh, God not showing partiality in his judgment and, uh, kind of how we do, uh, you know, we'll, mm. we'll go for the speck in somebody else's eye when we've got the, the beam in our eye. And, uh, I was, I told my wife on the way home that I was like, you know, the times I want to say amen the most during a sermon are when it's something I wish somebody else would hear right now. You know, <laughs> Some, you know, somebody yes. else say something, I'd be like, oh, amen. And then I'm like, I'm amen that because of that jerk that cut me off in traffic today or whatever <laughs> it may be. And, uh, so, and yeah, I want to get quiet on the parts that are aimed at me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'll just kind of nod contemplating yeah. a little bit. <laughs> Uh, that's funny, but it's so true. That's some great insight. And, and, you know, maybe, you know, there really is a little bit different aspect because, you know, when you are writing songs for other people to sing, you, you do at least have in mind how this is going to connect with other people. But, Definitely, but I do yeah. think, I do think you're so right. And it, we're, we're so much better off if we're writing what's, what's speaking to us and right. what we need to hear because, the human experience, I think, is so common to each of us. And as unique and special as each of us are, I think there's so much that we share in common. And uh, and I, f- I feel like that really shines through on these songs. So I'm glad that you've kind of approached that way in your writing. Um, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun topic to talk about. I don't always get to talk about songwriting yeah. on this show, but well, let I, me have, ask I you, have a good friend. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, 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 like I said, I sent a lot of these songs to our worship leader, um, Blake, and he gives me feedback. He can kind of, he can kind of tell, I can tell from his reaction. Usually is this going to be beneficial for the whole congregation or is this just something mm-hmm. that I'm singing to myself to remind myself of something? So it, sure. it, as far as that community thing goes, like getting that feedback and kind of knowing like, okay, you know. We don't have to sing every song I write, uh, and we shouldn't. Yeah. And so he, he gives a lot of good feedback there. Well, that's great. I you know just one other songwriting question before we get into to some of the aspects of like the sound and the choice of songs for this album because sure. there's there's other songs too that you've sort of reimagined hymns and things like that and I and I want to get into some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you find as a writer that at different times in your life you're inspired to write in different ways? And and let me let me give you an example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes. Uh, it seems like the last few songs that I've written, and this has not been characteristic of me in my whole life as a writer, but the last few songs, handful, 
has been me sitting at a piano, um, which is not my instrument of first choice. Mm-hmm. Like I'm much better on guitar, but I've learned piano over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll sit and try sort of a new method. Like um, I'll, I'll take the meters of, of a hymn and figure out like what the syllables are and try to write in the mode of a hymn just to like stretch myself, you know, right. in a different way. Um, and, and I found that that has been very fruitful for me to kind of box myself in in that way mm-hmm. as a writer. You know, sometimes right. I, it, it, it almost hurts me. I used to sit down and sort of be very free-flowing, um, almost like stream of consciousness with writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but for me, I have found that it's more helpful and, and usually more beneficial, just me personally, I'm, I'm only talking for me, but I'd love to get your, your viewpoint, mm-hmm. to kind of box myself in with some parameters when I'm writing. Right. Um, so, so that I can, especially in writing for congregation. Do, do you find that to be a more effective way of, of writing as well? Uh, to kind of set some, like, parameters, especially when writing for a congregation? Or just kind of what's your thoughts on that? I'd love to hear. Well, it depends. It depends, really. I, I go through seasons. A lot of times I'll, you know, I'll be thinking about something or reading something and, and I'll think, I feel like there's a song in there somewhere. Or I feel like there's, mm-hmm. Or not, maybe not even there's a song in there somewhere. I, I, I'll think there's an idea in there somewhere that I need to digest. Yes. And so I'll just mm. kind of throw a bunch of words at the page, like kind of kind of stream of conscious, but knowing that it's not going to stay that way. And yes. then I'll trim it down, and then maybe I'll see, oh, okay, here's a line. Uh, and then maybe I'll start building from that line, like, okay, here's kind of a, a meter or here's something, and I'll kind of build around that. So it kind of comes out that way. But here lately, actually, I've been um, – I heard an interview with with Drew Holcomb. I don't know if you're familiar with Drew Holcomb, but oh yeah, uh, I love his music. He yeah. uh, he said that one of the things that he does is he'll take a great song, uh, and then he'll write new music to the lyrics. Okay. And then he'll write new lyrics to the music that he came up with, and you know, kind of just <laughs> as a as a starting point, as something to kind of get him going. And uh, that's interesting. So I've been experimenting with that yeah. lately. I actually I took a song that I really love. I'm not going to say which one. And uh, <laughs> and I I wrote new words to the same melody because I, I love the melody and the way the words flow. So I wrote new words to it, and now I'm trying to put some new music to it to kind of reimagine that, just to kind of get me out of the box that maybe yeah. I find myself in sometimes. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the parameters at different points, they really help me kind of uh, mm-hmm. think differently, to think from a different perspective. And kind of that's, that's one of the things that I love, like all my favorite – songwriters all my favorite artists at some point they kind of you know they push against the walls a little bit to to mm-hmm. to get out of where they they have been mm-hmm. um and to to try something new and and they're great so whenever they try something new generally it works so i figured yeah. I'll, I'll try i'll try that and uh maybe maybe this song won't be <clears throat> won't be good but maybe the next one will be for having gone through the the, the process so yeah, and, and I'm always fascinated by that, too, because, again, kind of what I'm thinking about is you'll have different artists through the years that'll do an entire album that is a completely different style than they've ever done right. before, and it's not necessarily something they're comfortable with. And I just find it fascinating that in in pushing themselves to do something they don't usually do, mm-hmm. they're they're opening up by boxing themselves in to, <laughs> to exactly. one area. They are actually opening themselves up to so much more than they've ever done. I find that it to be quite fascinating about how that works, that we actually do find some freedom when we when we kind of box ourselves into certain parameters. Yeah. And and that's it's just it's great. I love discussions like this. So thanks for indulging me a little bit on some songwriter shop sure, talk this yeah, morning. I'm, I appreciate it. 
kind of a dork for that sort of thing, so I, I could probably <laughs> – I annoy my wife with it sometimes. I'm like, hey, hey, listen to this turn of phrase right here that Paul Simon does. And she's like, yeah. oh, that's 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 cool, babe. Paul Simon. Sure, yeah. And you, and you know what? Graceland's a perfect example oh. of that. You know, his album – like he's Absolutely. never done an album like that before. And when you think of like the, the odd rhythms that are there yeah. and sort of the, the South African music that he was bringing about on right. that album, like he, he really stretched himself on that he album did. to do something he hadn't done before. And then, like, the um, next record, Rhythm of the Saints, I think is arguably just as good as Graceland. But that probably hmm. wouldn't have happened if he hadn't have done Graceland first, you know? Yes. I, yeah, I, indeed. I love that. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, you know, we could probably go on and on for days about this, but we better move on sure. to a little bit more Absolutely. about the project at hand because I, I really want to talk about some of the, the hymns that you reimagined for this new project, yeah. which is something I love to do, too. I always think it's a it's a great thing. If we can figure out how to, um, uh, you know, kind of reconnect because hymns are so, um, I always say they're very versatile because a lot of times they're written originally without music. They're just poems. Exactly. And they were kind of designed to be remade again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tell me about some of the hymns on this new project and, and why these particular hymns were chosen. Sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I started, I guess, you know, we're talking about the, the songs that, that I could hold on to. I didn't realize it for a long time, but that hymns ended up being a lot of those songs that I could really hang on to. Some of the, the, the hymns that the Cabin's Call recorded back in the day and then these, the Indelible Grace records, they would take these old hymn texts and put new music to them. Um, and it just, it hit me in, uh, in a really special way. And so, uh, I did a little bit on the, the first centerpiece record with uh, an Isaac Watts hymn and Reginald Heber and some, some folks like that. And so this time around, I wanted to include some, some retuned hymns uh, again because uh, I guess I find myself a lot of times thinking that I'm not – maybe I'm not as connected to people. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not as connected to other Christians in different parts of the world or different parts of the country or for different um, – denominations or whatever and and then and beyond that like that maybe i'm not really i don't have that much in common with people who lived 100 years ago believers who lived 100 years ago but really we do you know the church is connected throughout the ages um sure you know for for 2000 years we've been worshiping jesus and um and it's looked different in different cultures but so these hymns kind of help me connect with that like um you know i picked a there's a, a song by john newton um, a hymn called uh, a hymn called "Strange and Mysterious Is My Life," and mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a great hymn, and it's it's starkly honest about the kind of the inward battle that we have with you know I say I believe this I believe the gospel to be true, but in my heart I see this other thing kind of fighting that you know why do I like that passage in in Romans where Paul talks about he does the things he doesn't want to do. The things he was he doesn't want to do are the things that he's doing, and it, and it drives yeah. him mad. And so it kind of hits along those lines. And you know, John Newton is a was a genius and a, a wonderful hymn writer. Um, so he kind of explores that topic. And I thought there's there aren't a lot of worship songs these days that deal with those topics. And hmm. um, and and so perspective from someone who lived you know 150 200 years ago uh, is really helpful in that because. They're writing about the same struggle I have, but without all the baggage of, uh, of, I guess, modern society or whatever. Um, so, so I, I chose that one for that reason. Uh, there's one by Ann Steele, um, 
honestly, I just chose it because I love Anne Steele so much. And hmm. she has so many great hymns. And uh, so there's one, I guess most people would probably call it by the first line, which is great source of boundless power and grace. But I kind of made a little chorus out of one of the stanzas. So I call it, let me call thy grace to mind. But it's hmm. about going through, you know, a, a tough time kind of echoes some of the words from the Psalms that talk about crying out of the depths, you know, um, hear my soul, hear my cry. Um, and, and realizing God's presence with you through it all. And, um, yeah. so there's that. And then there's one more by Horatius Bonar, who was a great, um, great writer, um, called the church has waited long. It's kind of anticipating Jesus return, which is another mm-hmm. thing that, <clears throat> you know, we don't, uh, I don't think we meditate on enough as the church. And I know I, myself, I don't, I need to hear more about the fact that, that Jesus is coming again and his kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. And, um, yeah. so, so that the hymn, the church has waited long really, um, explores that a lot. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of sad. It's, it's a longing sort of, um, emotion, but it's, but it's encouraging too, because we know that, that it's going to happen, you know, like yeah. Jesus is going to make things right. He's going to, um, uh, bring the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we can look forward to that. We can hope in that. And that hope is something that's not going to be disappointed. So, yeah, he is making, behold, I am making all things new. Absolutely. She says one of, one of my very favorite passages for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I thank you for telling us about some of those great hymns. And I know our listeners are going to enjoy checking those out mm-hmm. on the new centerpiece album, but I, I want to talk a little bit about the sound. And I, I alluded to it at mm-hmm. the very beginning of the show. Yeah. Um, this really does have, uh, a lot of the album has almost like a Tom Petty uh, sort of Jeff Lynn influence to it, yeah. and uh, I'd love to I'd love to just know a little bit more about sort of some of the writing. Were you, were you particularly in a mode of of listening to artists like him in the time you were writing, or or did it just kind of turn out that way as you started experimenting in the studio and kind of yeah. made that cool you know unique sound? Well, not so much when I was writing. <clears throat> I'm, I'm when I'm writing, yeah, I'm always kind of like drawing from different, different spices in the cabinet, I guess, of, you know, whether, mm-hmm. whoever I've been listening to. But, um, as I started to think about making the record, I wanted to, I wanted it to kind of have a cohesive sound as much as possible. And, um, and it started mainly with, uh, with the drums. My, my brother, his name's Andrew McNeil. He's a great drummer and uh, producer here in Memphis. And, um, so I was thinking like, I really just want, I want the drums to sound like Memphis, to sound like uh, Al Green recorded uh, all of his great records at uh, at Royal Studios in Memphis, and uh, and the sounds that they would get are just so warm and groovy, and they just make you want to move. And I was yeah. like, I love that, but you know, I love jangly guitars, twelve string guitars, and you know, all this stuff. So I thought, well, what if, what if Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn had made a record at Royal Studios? Yeah, and they'd use the high rhythm section for that record. Like, what would that be like? Um, so I kind of like I started talking to my brother about this, and he's like, "Okay, yeah, I hear what you're saying." And so we uh, we didn't go to Royal, but we did go to a studio in Memphis, <laughs> and uh, and he knew exactly what I was thinking, and he, he set up his drums and tuned them, and I was like, "That is it." That we're hmm. you know, so we uh, we started. So I was I was intentional at that point. Like once I realized we could kind of head in that direction, I was I was like, "Well, let me see how many I borrowed." A, couple of 12 string guitars from from folks around and uh yeah. started layering and i was going through a uh, pretty intense george harrison phase at the time too and yeah I was like, what what if it wasn't a tom petty record what if it was a traveling wilburys record so I yeah started throwing some george harrison slide stuff on there and uh 
anyway, that it, it got to be a lot of fun at that point. Yeah. Because I love well, I love the way those records make me feel, and uh, and there's not really a lot of um, a lot of I guess worship music or congregational music with that feel in it. And I was like, oh, that'd be something to try, you know, something to yeah. shoot for. Well, I, I really love it. Now, are those Rickenbackers that we're hearing? I'm just curious because they sound like Rickenbackers well, throughout the album. I'm glad they sound like Rickenbackers. I could not get a hold of any Rickenbackers, but mm. uh, <clears throat> a friend of my brother's had a really great uh, Dan Electro uh, 12 string. Oh, nice. Sounds great. And, and the music shop uh, in town had a an old acoustic uh, Alvarez 12 string, but the, the strings were, were old on it, but it sounded perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, it's exactly what I need right there. And so. Yeah. So I did a lot of that for sure. Well, that's great. Well, you know, Rickenbackers are are very hard to come by. I played one on one song that I recorded years ago, and and uh, you know, found out those things have three truss rods in them. Yeah. Uh, which which is a like who does that? Yeah. <laughs> unreal. Complex but, things of beauty. Yeah, for sure. But well, it sounds great, and I think the the sound you were going for, and it's wonderful that you and your brother Andrew co-produced this album together. Yeah, and I, I hope I, was that a really great experience to get to do it with your brother. It was. Yeah, <clears throat> he um, he's been my favorite drummer since he started playing. Um, but uh, you know, and he played on the on the first first record as well. But this one, like I said, I was I was a little more intentional about um, you know, what I wanted to sound like and and. And I knew that I wanted him involved in the process the whole time because he has he has a great set of ears. He has a great set. He has timing and he can kind of help me think through when I'm kind of stuck, you know, if I'm thinking something. And uh, and so that was that was a blessing to be able to do it with him. And um, I knew that I knew we we spent a couple days in the studio doing drums first, drums and bass. And I knew when we left there that it was going to be a a better record for having him involved and having his input. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, terrific. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time together, so I want to start wrapping it up a little bit with our conversation. And it's been wonderful to get to talk to you today. And listeners, at the beginning of this show, uh, you, you didn't hear it because we've been talking, but as we edit the show together, they will have been treated to uh, a song called Count It All Joy, which I really love the feel mm-hmm. of. And so they already have a feel of some of the music on this album. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we're going to close the show today with the song As I Have Been Loved, which, uh, which you actually have a new lyric video for mm-hmm. and so i want to is that just youtube or or is there another place that you want to refer people to to find yeah the, the music video? It, it'll be on youtube and and facebook uh, as well okay so if they look up stephen mcneil as i have been loved they'll be able to find the new lyric video mm-hmm. great and um the the album actually releases by the time that this album releases it will have been out for a few days but at the time we're, we're talking it's it's coming up on november 29th um and i want you to take just a minute and tell people who are listening today what's the best way uh to find out more about you online and to get a hold of your music and and find out more about what you're doing right well if you just want to hear the music uh on uh whatever whatever your digital music service of choice is uh just search centerpiece volume two um and it should come up and you could probably from there find the, the first centerpiece record as well um, <clears throat> centerpiecesongs.com is uh, a site where you can buy directly from me and where you can buy CDs if uh, if you're still into that. Um, and then uh, stephenmcneil.net is my personal website that has because I, I teach music and stuff like that as well. So uh, that kind of has more information uh, about that. Uh, but uh, but centerpiecesongs.com is where you can 
hear the music and buy it directly from me. That's what you're into. All right, centerpiecesongs.com, and we are going to make sure that uh, all of these links are going to be on the Voices in My Head podcast.com page uh, when, for this episode. And uh, we're really excited to be able to share and help you and kind of sharing, getting the word out about this album because I think the music's great. And I'm so glad that we had a chance to, to talk more about this album today. So in just a moment, we're going to close out this episode with the new single, As I Have Been Loved. And uh, it has been great. As I tell my guests every week, Stephen McNeil, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week thanks for having me rick i love the work that you do and uh grateful to be a part of the podcast today
this week on Voices in My Head. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleejames.com where you can find out more about me, get my music on vinyl and CD, follow my blog, and even schedule me for a concert or a speaking engagement. Better yet, even a book signing in your neighborhood. You can find all that and more at rickleejames.com. Also, it would mean a great deal to me if you could write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast will be online. And now, for the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you, and thank you for listening to Voices in My Head.